Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, how many of you, being really honest this morning, wore your stretchy pants? Yeah. Yeah. Man, leftovers for days, right? I'm kind of excited to go home this afternoon and enjoy some more. So, um, man, God is good. We obviously have much, much, much to be grateful for and thankful for. Um, Even when things aren't good, there's so much to thank Him for. And because He is a good God, a great God. Um, You know, someone once said that um, Thanksgiving, right, it's it's not the hours you spend at the table uh, that puts on the weight, it's the seconds. So, yeah. So, yeah. Enjoy that one. Yeah. Feel, feel free to use that dad joke this week. Call it your own. But uh, <laughs> somebody just got that in the back, back there. <clears throat> so, uh, we are completing a study this morning in the book of Ephesians. Have you enjoyed this study? Man, I love my pastor. I love his heart for the Word, his, his commitment to truth. Uh, it's, it's been a great study. If you're following along and using the, the Scripture journal, I trust that's been encouraging uh, to you as well. Uh, but if you have a Bible, I trust you do. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to wrap up the series this morning. Uh, and if you have been following along, you kind of noticed the last couple of weeks we went a little bit out of order. Uh, we went from the beginning of, uh, of uh, well, mid chapter 5. Uh, down through the close, and then we jump forward in chapter 6. So we went from a message on marriage and marriage relationships uh, to a message on the armor of God uh, because Pastor Scott asked me to do this one in the middle uh, dealing with parenting. Uh, he said, You're, you have more experience and more wisdom. And I said, so what I hear you say is I'm old and I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what I said. I said, but, but it's true. Um, and so I get to talk a little bit this morning about this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. And as I was working on some of this, um, uh, we took a little bit of a turn, so I want you to stay with me uh, this morning. But just, just really quick, is anybody in the room or maybe online, anybody a parent? Come on, loud and proud, let me hear it. All right, all right. Um, so not to leave anyone out, is anyone in, does anyone in the room have a parent? Okay. All right. So th- th- I want you to understand this passage is for all of us. Um, and, and really, there's some things that I think you're going to connect some dots this morning uh, as we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 that go, wow, this makes sense. The, the Bible actually makes sense to me now. Um, because I, I think there's some things that, that the Holy Spirit, I pray the Holy Spirit's going to connect some dots for us this morning. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 6, um, I, I will simply say this, as I was reading this passage again, uh, I've read through this a number of times, I've taught this passage in a few different ways, uh, but this reminded me that everybody loves certain parts of Scripture when it's completely yanked out of context. Right? And there's certain things we love in Scripture. It's like, oh, what a great truth. And I'm going to take that and put it on a plaque of some shiplap and put it on my wall. And, and yet it's completely out of context. We don't really understand it in the biblical context. You're going to see that in this text this morning. Uh, because we have a tendency to grab little things here and there from Scripture, and we want to make ourselves feel good about certain things when God is really going, no, I really want to get into your life. I want, I want to step on your life and your habits and your hang-ups, and I, I want to deal with your life. But we, we don't look at Scripture that way. We don't look at Scripture going, God, attack me. Get, hit me with your best shot, right? We want to look for great little things. And so you, you're going to see that in this passage this morning. So I want to look at Luke or, or look at Ephesians chapter 6. I want to begin in verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 9 to put this passage in context. But I want you to listen carefully and read carefully to the language that Paul is using. Uh, I want you to listen for the phrases that make it all about us and Jesus, right? 
Um, because he's going to use phrases like in the Lord or of the Lord or as you would with Christ or to Christ or as bondservants of Christ. Um, and so I want you to just listen for some of that language and hear what God is telling us. So we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, simply says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents in the house said, Amen. right, completely out of context. We love that part, don't we? <laughs> Woo, preach that. Let's just stay there for a while. Honor your father and mother. Everybody said, Amen. Yeah, amen. Right? And we look at our kids when we do that. And yet the scripture is saying, well, you have to give them something to honor. And so he quotes from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, uh, which was a pretty specific command to the Israelites taken into the promised land. And Paul generalizes it a little bit more for all believers because he then says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Now, this is not this empty promise of health and prosperity. It simply means that God's got a plan, and when you follow his plan, it's a good plan, right? Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children. Your, your text may say exasperate or may use some other word, but basically means don't provoke your children to anger. And all the kids in the room said, amen. amen. Come on, say it loud, kid. It's like, amen, right? <laughs> fathers, do your job. Fathers, do your job. Moms, do your job. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, look, don't provoke your kids to, to anger. Uh, this, this carries with it the idea of unreal expectations, trying to live your life through your children. Understand who your children are. Raise them. And he goes on. Then he says, right, don't provoke your children to anger. But what does he say? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's your responsibility as a parent. This is not some big, deep parenting seminar, and this is certainly not the most exhaustive text on parenting anywhere in Scripture. Uh, but I love this phrase when he says, but bring them up. The, the Greek word that's translated bring them up is the same Greek word that, that's found earlier in chapter 5 uh, in verse 29 speaking of husbands and wives, because Paul is saying, husbands, love your wives as you love your own body, for no one ever hated his own body, but what? Nourishes and cherishes it. The same word that, that's translated nourishes is the same word translated bring them up. It means to bring to maturity, to be so concerned about who I am that I'm nourishing myself, that I, I'm bringing myself to maturity. And so husbands, we have that responsibility to our wives to nurture them and to bring them up in the Lord to help them mature, to fall deeper in love with Jesus. We have the same responsibility to our children to bring them up in the love and the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. Uh, but then he goes on, and, and now I want you to be really careful here because this next section is using words like bond servants and masters. And so we don't have time to go deep into the Roman culture 2,000 years ago, but th there was sort of a family-related aspect to some of the, the slaves and masters that are here. Uh, because people could sell themselves into slavery and become like an employee of, of a household, they could also eventually buy their freedom. And so there was kind of almost like a family relationship or employer-employee relationship that was taking place. Not to say that there wasn't other bad things taking place, but I don't want you to understand this as saying that somehow God is pro-slavery. But, but he's talking about work relationships with one another. So think about your coworkers. Think about your boss because every one of us have them, don't we? <laughs> we all have people that we interact with. Anybody else have people you interact with apart from this place? Yes? Say it loud. Come on, I want to hear you. Okay. All right. So he's talking about these other relationships that we have outside of our home because he says, bond servants, workers, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. Listen, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, oh, hey, boss is coming. I, I want to do a good job because the boss is watching, right? Um, not, not being a people pleaser, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. 
rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, speaking to, to bosses or those in supervisory positions, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. Now, this is an interesting passage, and as, as I was kind of building a message, probably focusing a little bit more toward the parenting side of things, something hit me as I was reading through the book of Ephesians again this week. Uh, with a sinus cold and pressure and runny nose and a box of Kleenex, and I'm reading through this, all of a sudden I saw something that was astonishing to me. You ready for this? All right, I want to share it with you. Because, now I wa- again, I want you to remember that the first three chapters of Paul's letter were all about what? It was all about this vertical relationship, right? Chapters one, two, three are all the things that God did for us. He predestined us. He chose us. He loved us. He extended his grace to us. He adopted us. He forgave us. All these things are in Christ. And so Paul spent the first three chapters dealing with this vertical relationship about me and my relationship with God. And in the process of doing that, God set himself up as the supreme authority over all. You and I are under the supreme authority of God, whether you acknowledge it or not. So just acknowledge it, okay? Life will be a lot better when you acknowledge the fact that you're under the supreme authority of God. But then he goes on in chapters 4, 5, 6, he moves from the vertical relationship to the horizontal relationship. In other words, because I'm under the authority of God... And God has done all this for me, and he's transformed my life. It should change the way I live in relationship to other people. And so I'm reading it from this perspective, and then all of a sudden, I realize that here's three groups of people that Paul is dealing with. From from chapter 5, verse 22, all the way down through chapter 6, verse 10. And again, Paul didn't write the chapter breaks. He simply wrote them a letter. And so right here in this portion of his letter, what I saw is Paul writing to three groups of people. He wrote to husbands and wives, he wrote to parents and children, and he wrote to workers and co-workers. Right on the end of both of, of, of all three of these relationships, right at the end, a bookend, right at the front and right at the end are two commands. And I think it's absolutely critical that we understand the two commands that Paul gave to understand what he was saying about the relationships in between. So here you go. Stay with me. If you have a Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 5. I want to begin in verse 15. This is right before the section of Paul dealing with husbands and wives. And here's what he says. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. That is how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Somebody say amen. We live in kind of a just a jacked up world, don't we? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an imperative. This is a command. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is an imperative. That is a command that God is giving to the church. That is a command that he's given you, to you to live in, in uh, surrender and authority to, the, to Jesus Christ and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he begins to talk wives, husbands. Then he talks about parenting. Then he talks about slaves, masters, workers, co-workers. Right at the end of that passage, talking about co-workers, look with me at chapter 6 and verse 10, and look at the second command that he gives us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Does anybody else find that fascinating? Right between the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and to put on the armor of God and do battle, what is he talking about? He's talking about human relationships, isn't he? 
See, God is a relational God. He invites us not to a religion because religion is man's best attempt to reach God. What can I do? What commands do I have to follow? What can I not do? If you're living life that way, you've completely missed the relationship that God offers you. If you simply look at the Word of God and say, give me all the list of things I'm not supposed to do. Give me a list of all the things I'm supposed to do. And you're simply watching, you know, for for God to club you because you step out of line. You've completely missed what God offers us in Scripture, which is an intimate relationship. And if you miss that, then you also miss what it is to be a parent. My wife and I worked under one simple principle that we'll share with you later in a document as well, but it's called rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Right? Because if, you, if you're simply living out Christianity as a, as a list of rules, that's religion, and, and you miss the point that God invites you to relationship, and eventually you're going to rebel. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to walk away from God. If you're living with rules without relationship in your home, your kids are ultimately going to rebel. They're going to walk away. Now, rules are important, don't get me wrong. God gives us rules, but he gives us rules as loving guidelines and boundary, and he always tells us why they're there. And he always does it in the context of a loving relationship. And so Paul spent these three chapters dealing with the vertical. Now he makes this transition under the authority of God. How am I to learn to love other people in horizontal relationships? Because what he's saying right here is that the schemes of the devil are to do what? It's to distract us from sharing the love of Jesus through our loving relationships. Because Paul has already said it's in the context of that marriage relationship that other people are going to see the glory of Jesus. It's in the, it's in the loving relationships between parents and children and workers and co-workers and our love for one another that people are going to know about the love and the grace of Jesus. So what a great scheme for the enemy to simply attack our loving relationships and therefore cause people not to know about the love and grace of Jesus. So he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, put on the armor of God, and live the way God intended you to live. So I want to share three principles out of this that I I see. First, I want you to see that our ability to love others the right way starts with learning to love God the right way. We can't begin to love others the right way if we don't understand what it is to love God the right way. And that's the whole first three chapters. Go back and pull up the sermons online from Pastor Scott. Dig into the text and realize what God has done for you and understand that he desires more than anything else this loving, intimate relationship. It's not about acquisition of more knowledge. It's learning to live in the loving relationship that God offers you. And the more we grow in the knowledge of his word, the more we understand the love that he has for us. And I'll tell you what, nothing helped me learn the love of God than being a father. Nothing, nothing in my life has helped me understand God's love more than being a father. Understanding what unconditional love really is. Knowing what it is to to nurture and care for another human being. And so Ephesians 1 is all about being accepted, being chosen, being predestined, being loved by Him. Chapter 2 is all about His grace extended to us. And And I love Pastor Scott's definition. He said, grace is simply being fully known and fully loved. For someone to fully know you and all your baggage and yet still fully love and accept you, that's grace. And that's, that's the love that God has for us. And until we learn to love him the right way, we're never going to learn to love others the right way. It's going to affect our marriage. It's going to affect our parenting. It's going to affect our social relationships in work and outside work. Because if we can't love God right, we can't love one another right. And our relationships become that reflection of Christ and his church to a lost and dying world. So I think it's very intentional that this section comes just where it does. These these two commands that are right there. And if our human relationships are then supposed to point people to Jesus, it's no surprise, guys, that the enemy is coming at us in the areas of our human relationships. 
Relationships are tough, aren't they? Anybody? Go ahead and poke your spouse next to you. It's okay. Go ahead and poke your kid next to you. Relationships are hard. Why? Because it's sinful people getting together trying to love other sinful people. And I've often said, man, if everybody could be more like me, the world would just be a better place. You know? And I'll kid around with some of our staff in the office like, man, I wish everyone could be more like me. And the more I think about that statement, I'm thinking, that's irritating. Because I'm irritating, I'm obnoxious, and if everyone was like me, I would hate everybody, you know? It's just messed up because relationships are hard. I mean, think about the people I have to work with week in, week in, week out. I mean, you know, you think, oh, well, you work in a Christian office, this is great. Relationships are hard, okay? I'm just saying, let's be honest, we're all just sinful people before a holy God, right? But relationships are tough. I love my wife. Sweetheart, I love you. I really, really do. I love you. But relationships are difficult. I love my kids. I really do. But relationships are difficult. 31 years ago, I was holding a 7-pound, 14-ounce, 21-inch little girl who radically changed my life and has ever since. And, And there's been good times and there's been bad times. I'm not sure which there's been more of, but there's been good times and there's been bad times. But Leslie was pregnant with our first child, Amanda. She's 31. She's actually going through some IVF treatment right now, kind of hoping to have a a little one to bring into our our family. Um, But when Leslie was pregnant with Amanda, she said, this is a strong-willed child. I said, what's a strong-willed child? She goes, you're about to find out. And so she went out and she bought Dr. James Dobson's book, Raising a Strong-Willed Child. I said, well, now you just put a whammy on the whole thing, right? And she devoured that book and she read it. And that book stayed in her nightstand as a resource for like 10 years. And, and I remember back when my kids were little, I remember reading a lot of Dr. James Dobson during that time. And, and one of the things that really stuck with me, he said, by age seven, get this parents, by age seven, your children have all the basic morals and values that they will use to make decisions for the rest of their life. I thought, holy cow, we got our work cut out for us. And yeah, Amanda to this day is still very strong-willed. And, but what we learned is that she is uniquely created in the image of God. And if there's one truth I understood as a parent, probably more than anything else, is that my children do not belong to me. My children belong to the Lord Jesus Christ that he's entrusted them to me for a season. And there were times I prayed that season would come to an end very quick. (laughs) Right? Because he entrusted them to us for a season. To do what? To find someone, to leave and to cleave. That's a scriptural mandate. Do you know that? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there was a point I was praying, God, I pray that they find their mate quickly and leave and cleave. Because I want them out of my house. Right? But, but that's the, the biblical responsibility. Now, here's part of what happens in our culture. We're not good at the leaving and cleaving. I've spent a lot of time with young couples and they come to me with marriage problems and they go, well, it's my children are my life. I remember looking at one young lady, her name was Lindsay. I said, she goes, oh, my children are my life. I said, Lindsay, you need to get a life. I mean, seriously, you need to get a life because your children are yours for a season. God's entrusted them to you as a steward, right? We talk about stewardship at church and y'all, everybody starts reaching for their pocketbook because it's all about money, right? But, but stewardship is more than just our money. It's our time, our treasure, our talent, and yes, even our children that God has entrusted to us to manage or to steward, to raise them, as Paul is saying, in the love and the discipline, the instruction of the Lord to do what? To let them go. So when Les and I moved here three years ago, it literally put our family, three kids, in all four time zones of the lower 48. I mean, we, we had family from coast to coast. But you know what? That's the way God designed it. Go find a mate. Go, go reproduce. That's what God said. Go multiply. Go raise godly kids. Go, go do what God instructed you to do. 
But, but as adults, if we can't release our children, anybody ever watch Everybody Loves Raymond? There, there's a problem in our culture, right? There, there's a problem in our culture with, with distorted, messed up adult parent relationships. Parents, some of you need to let your kids go. Parents, some of you need to leave and cleave. You're fighting battles through the holidays, and I know some of you are dealing with this because people do it all the time. You're fighting battles over, well, mom wants us to be there for this tradition. And you're battling with your spouse and with your children over the things that you want to do and form your own traditions because you're trying to make decisions as an adult to please your parents. That's unhealthy. That's just unhealthy. So here we go, right? It's no surprise. Relationships are tough. Relationships are difficult. So the second thing I want you to see is this, that when we learn to love God the right way, then being filled with the Spirit allows us to love others the right way. That's the command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he steps into all these relationships. How do I love my spouse the way I'm supposed to? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I parent the, the way I'm supposed to parent? How, how do I love my parents the way I'm supposed to love my parents, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I love my coworkers and interact with my coworkers the way I'm supposed to? Be filled with the Holy Spirit and put on the armor of God. I mean, if you don't think that relationships are part of spiritual warfare, then you're missing something. This part reminds me of, of the little girl that, that on her way home from church said to her mom, she says, mom, I'm kind of confused about the pastor's sermon this morning. She goes, well, What's the matter? She says, well, the pastor said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? And the mom said, yeah, that, that's true. And she said, but, but then the pastor said that, that God also lives inside of us. Is that true? And the mom said, well, yeah, that's true too. And the girl said, well, I'm confused because if God is bigger than we are and he lives inside of us, then shouldn't he show through us? Yeah, it's kind of profound, isn't it? If the God of the universe lives inside you, shouldn't it change who you are? Shouldn't it change the way you deal in relationships with other people? The God of the universe who stepped out of the glory and splendor of heaven, Philippians says, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Read about these three groups of relationships from that perspective. Are you seeking to be served by those in your life or are you seeking to serve those in your life? If I could put it a simple way, when I, when I think about what Paul is saying, he's talking about every one of us at some point in our life has a role as a leader. Every one of us at some point in our life has a role as a follower. And Paul is saying, look, you got to get your leadership right, and you got to get your followership right. Because we have to follow correctly. We follow others in leadership over us as we submit to the Holy Spirit of God under His authority. We lead others as we submit to the Holy Spirit of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, armored up under the authority of God. It changes the way we interact. And so spiritual leadership here means that parents assume the primary responsibility to help their kids take the next step in their pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. See, if there's one thing that, that, that I kind of picked up on as a, as a parent, now you got to understand, I, I met my wife when I was 28 years old. We got married, started having babies, and I'm a young dad. I've known Jesus a long time at this point, but something profound hit me with three little children in my home. And that was this truth. I can't fix my sin. Only God can fix my sin. This was a, this was a breakthrough moment as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a dad. Because I came to that point of going, I, I can't fix my own sin. Only God can fix my sin. Then I started thinking about my relationship with my wife. I love my wife. Close to perfect, but not quite. Okay. But, but what I realized is, what is my responsibility to my wife? My, my responsibility is not to fix her. 
My responsibility is to love her and point her to Jesus who can fix anything going on in her life. And my responsibility with my children was to do what? Not to simply make them better behaved sinners. It was to love them and point them to Jesus who's the only one who can fix their sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't teach morals and values and, and disciplines and, and good behavior. That's, that's not my point. My point is simply this. My goal as a parent was not simply to make them well-behaved. My point was to love them and point them to Jesus Christ. So when we look at this, we begin to understand that spiritual leadership in the home, men, I just want to tell you right now, you carry the greatest responsibility in your home to be the spiritual leader. You may have abdicated that responsibility. You need to take it back. Ladies, your husband has been commanded by God to be a spiritual leader in your home. If you've taken that from him, you need to ask for forgiveness and give it back to him. That doesn't mean uh, uh, that anyone is lesser or, or anything else. We are equal. We're living in mutual submission to one another. But God has placed a position of authority, and we have to follow his plan. When we don't follow his plan, we get messed up. Now, I want you to also understand it's also true of spiritually mature believers. Some of you in this place are spiritually mature believers who've not accepted the responsibility to love and nurture those that are younger in Christ than you. And you need to be a spiritual parent to others around you. It's called discipleship. And just like the Great Commission, the Great Commission is, is going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth all at the same time. It's not like do this, then do this, then do this. It's the same principle in our home. We don't try to get our home in order, then go do other ministry. No, nope, we're doing it all at the same time. There's, there's a process. And so some of you, even spiritually mature, there are others less spiritually mature who need you to step into their life and begin to parent them spiritually, to give them guidance and to give them instruction. But as a church, we hold this principle very seriously in verse 4, right? To, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so I want to help you for just a moment. I'm going to invite Pastor Brad. Pastor Brad is our family pastor. Uh, just welcome him as he comes up to join us. We want to take just a moment and, and share really kind of a resource, some principles, but then a resource with you that, um, that we believe is going to be helpful. Um, and it's interesting, the more I kind of looked at some of this text, I realized Paul is dealing with, with individual groups of people, husbands and wives and parents and kids and workers, but the principles are the same, yeah. right? It's just that we have greater relationship with a few, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're a little closer. There are those in your life that know you better than others, right? Uh, so Pastor Brad, welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, I can attest that Dave wishes that the rest of the staff would uh, think more like him. Yeah, too, amen. So. <laughs> amen. Here we go. See, Brad and I are on a mission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but okay. <laughs> Sorry. Got you sidetracked. Brad's like, only if everyone could be more like me. Right, right, right. Pastor John, only if everyone loves spreadsheets like I love spreadsheets. Yes. Um, I hate spreadsheets, by the way. Um, my, my thing with John, really, there's a form for that? There's another form for that? Yeah. Um, but the, this morning, we wanted to share some things that, that uh, it's, it's kind of a parenting resource, but as you listen mm. and write some things down, I think that you're going to see this is really like every relationship yeah. we have. Yeah. Um, if you're a child, you can see some of this stuff in relationship with your parent. If you're a parent, this is kind of designed for you, coworkers, friends, family. Um, but it's just a neat resource. We had a guy here uh, back in the summer, uh, Dr. Josh McDowell, mm -hmm. been around for about 100 years, I think, and uh, very smart, really into biblical apologetics and the historicity of Christ. But for a couple of decades, he's kind of been called the, the, the father of the church, right? Kind of the, the parenting thing. But now as he gets older, I think they're kidding him saying, well, he's kind of like more the grandfather. Mm -hmm. of a, And so in, in some of his 
resources that we were looking at, he had a, a resource up there. This is an 18-page document that walks through what, what he calls the seven A's. So everything we're sharing with you is totally stolen from him, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to make a resource available to you. Um, but it's called the seven A's, and it's, it's really like connecting, um, what, what do they call them? Connecting points. Points, yeah. Um, and so what we want to do is just kind of walk through these seven A's. You can jot them down really quick um, and just talk about them real quick. Um, so Brad, start, start us through just a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say uh, one of the things uh, in family ministry, our hope is really to, to be able mm-hmm. to uh, connect parents and, or connect students and kids to Jesus for life change. And we use this terminology of like coming alongside. And that means that we want to help equip parents uh, to, to be the spiritual leaders that you're challenging them to be today. Um, and then really coming alongside students and kids as their spiritual formation uh, begins and really kind of come alongside. And then by equipping uh, families. And yeah. so this is a great uh, document just to, to really help equip uh, parents. And as I was going through it, I found myself asking my, myself these questions of, am I doing this? I have a 19 and a 20-year-old. And I, even as a parent and moving into a different season and phase of life and parenting, um, this is still applicable for me, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. Am I, am I doing these things? So, yeah, let's jump right in. Um, there are seven A's that we're calling up, and the first one is affirmation. And really this point is like one of the most effective ways of identifying with your children, even if you don't fully understand them, is to affirm their feelings. And the idea is this, is that... Um, when our kids express that they're feeling a certain way, you know how it is as a parent, we can minimize those feelings. Yeah. But really, we're wanting to allow our children to express their feelings and make them feel like a person. It's okay if you, to express that you're scared or you don't understand something. Um, let's not just minimize those things, but walk through those things with them. Because from, from a parenting perspective or an adult perspective with another adult, it's easy to dismiss that and go, well, that's just not true. Right. And, and we're dismissing the child's feelings. And, and so it's really kind of validating or confirming mm-hmm. uh, for them. So it's not whether something is true or not. It's kind of just affirming how they're feeling in the moment. That's right. Um, and, and it breeds authenticity, too. You know, when a, a child feels safe to share those things with a parent, then that allows a child to feel like they can be authentic with their yeah, parents, right? That, that they're understood uh, for who they really are, that right. they're kind of an authentic human being. So, yeah. second one. Second one is uh, acceptance, and acceptance is embracing people for who they are rather than what they do. And so, the idea here is, you know, we, we are all in a very performance-based culture. But really, when we accept our children for who they are and not what they do, that's a great way to show our love for them. Yeah. And, and they talk about how this gives them a sense of security, right? That they're accepted. They kind of have the sense of being, being secure in the home. Um, and, and I would say this is it, accepting them for who they are is not like blatantly accepting sin, right? Right, there's, there's a, a difference there, but kind of understanding, you know, we're all different. Mm-hmm. Um, people in the office are different than me, but I have to accept that. <laughs> so, um, so, Brad, I accept. Shot, shot, I accept, re- shot received, I got you. I accept yeah. you for who you are. Yep. Um, I, well, I love this one quote here at the bottom. We're going to move along here. Yeah. <laughs> I love and accept you because you're my daughter or son, created in the image of God, infinite value, dignity, and worth. If you never made a good decision, if you got into drugs, failed out of school, whatever, it would not affect my love and acceptance of you. Yeah. I might not be happy with the decisions you're making, but yeah. I love you. Yeah. And, and who did that more than Jesus? Right. You Stepped know? into it. Yeah. Yeah. Next one, appreciation. It's this idea of um, really expressing our appreciation to them. It says that what they're doing matters too, right? So we talked a little bit about catching them doing things well, yeah, right? Yeah. We're, as parents, we, we tend to play the gotcha game when <laughs> things are going bad and not making the best decisions, but how are we showing the, our appreciation for our kids when we see them doing the right thing? Yep, yep. absolutely, yeah. And catch. what adult wouldn't want to hear that too, right? Right, yeah, thanks for just doing that. I noticed you did that. Mm-hmm. It may have been the responsibility, but still there, there's a sense of appreciation that yeah. hey, you, you did it well. Our fourth, fourth one is availability, right? Expressing affirmation, acceptance, and appreciation to our kids is critical 
But we can only do that if we make ourselves available to them. Yeah. Right? I think we talked a little bit about how kids speak love is T-I-M-E, right? Time. Yeah. Right? Our kids love uh, for us to be with them and to spend time with them. And uh, I, I think um, Josh shares a story in this document that um, he was in Russia and, and doing ministry work, and he flew 17 hours to watch his son play basketball. And then he got back onto a plane and flew 17 hours back to Russia after the basketball game, which I thought, man, that, that's an amazing. We're all busy. We all have... Uh, constraints and uh, with time, but when we show and spend our, our valuable time with our kids and show that, that's a huge show of love for yeah, them. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, five goes into affection. Mm-hmm. Talk about that one. Yeah, affection uh, is loving, uh, loving our kids through words and, and really through touch, right? Appropriate touch with them, right? So giving words of affirmation and affection, huge deal, but, but um, also touching our, our children, a hug. Uh, I joke around in our family quite a bit. My wife had to give me hugging instructions when we got married. She's like, bring it in. It's a different, I'm, I'm kind of a patter and a, you know, you're doing, nope, not with the kids. You know? Yeah, I get uncomfortable with that at times. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, the words are important, but the physical touch, you know, our kids need to have some of that yeah. too. And, and it's appropriate. I mean, they even emphasize, right? Appropriate. Yeah. It's so, appropriate. Yeah, yep. we want to be uh, sure. affection. Yeah, let the kid know that they're lovable. Yeah. That, man, someone, someone can love me, and I'm not out seeking that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So. Rolling in a six here, approach. Well, we need to find out what is significant to our kids, no matter how old they are, and dive into those interests with genuine enthusiasm. So, <laughs> we talked a little <laughs> bit about this. Yeah. Video games, right? Yeah. I'm not a big gamer, but my son was. So I sat down and played Madden football and NBA basketball with him. And at first, when he was learning to play, it went well for me. But after he learned how to play, it did not go well for me. And so, uh, you know, but spending that time again and then genuinely being interested in some of those things yeah. that, that yeah. they're interested in. Mario Kart. Mario Kart, yeah. I, 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 that was a great I game. I still can't beat my kids at any of that stuff, but yeah. I can talk smack. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I talked I'm shocked. Smack. Yeah. I would not have guessed yeah. that you could talk right? smack through that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the idea of stepping into someone else's world, mm-hmm. you know, that, that uh, w- without trying to live through our children, we realize that our kids are uniquely created in the image of God, you know, mm-hmm. and their interests may not be my interests. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up, I loved basketball, loved baseball, and my kids did some of that stuff when they were younger, but then they kind of went more into the individual sports stuff and, and, you know, taking interest in those types of things that might not have been my thing. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's stepping into someone else's world. And, and when you think again, no one did that better than Jesus. Yeah. I mean, man, no one, no one stepped into someone else's world like Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the choice first, just to step out of the glory and splendor of heaven to take on humanity. Um, so this idea of approach is, is huge, right? Just that ultimate example. So, well, you think about um, what would it be like to have a friend who maybe doesn't even have, if you had a friend that I'm not interested in the Cubs, but you are, yeah, I'll go with you, and we'll go to Chicago and hang out. That's and eat good. D- deep dish pizza, which yeah. I am oh, interested in. See, you're interested in that, <laughs> yes. so there it's a go. win-win. It's a win-win. It's win, a win-win. Right? We'll take Todd with us. There we go. So. All right, last one, accountability. Uh, It's this idea um, that it provides parameters within which a young person can operate safely and securely. Young people need the loving authority of parents and caring adults so that they can make responsible choice and right choices, right? Yeah. Yeah. So helping our kids to be able to make the right choice or the wise decision um, is huge. And, and so a lot of times that we talked about in our family is this idea of failing safe. We're going to let you make choices and know that you're going to mess up, but we're going we're gonna to protect you through it and we're going to love you through it, right? Um, we're not going to let you get hurt or you're not going to hurt anybody else, but we want you to be able to make those choices and knowing in, our, in an environment that we're going to be here to support you. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good stuff. And, and responsibility is both age and physically appropriate. Yeah, for sure. Right? I mean, you're not going to 
give you know, give your five-year-old the responsibility to go change <laughs> right. your oil in the car, you know. But uh, but you get to the place of of you know letting them get their own cereal, letting mm -hmm. them pour their own milk, letting them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I remember the, my daughter putting a, a corn dog in the, in the microwave and instead of hitting 6-0, it was 6 0, -0. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it turned a little nuclear there for a while in our home. <laughs> but, you know, age appropriate responsibility, that, yeah. how else are they gonna learn, for sure. right? You give them that sense of responsibility and you hold them accountable to it. Yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to your point, you were just making rules without relationship lead to rebellion, right? Yeah. So when we provide a loving environment for them um, with rules, and know, but our kids know that, they're, that we are for them and yeah. love them. Yep, exactly. Less rebellion. So how can, how can we get eight, this? 18 page document, how can we put this in everybody's hand? Yeah, you can text uh, if you're online with us or even if you're you know, in the in room or whatever, you can text 7A to 919-444-8081. We'd love to get you. It's just a great resource, uh, some spaces where you can write your own thoughts in there and how am I doing assessments on it? How am I doing these things? And, I, and the other part that I love about it is it's not just Josh's stories, it's his wife's stories in here as well and, and how she uh, affirmed her husband and some of the things mm -hmm. he was doing and then called him up to, hey, you're not doing this, some of these things yeah. as well. And then yeah. what she did in each of these um, steps. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. So yeah, feel free, grab your phone, um, just text 7A, uh, numbers on the screen, 919-444-8081. You'll get a link. You can download that document and and uh, just kind of work through that process and think about your own relationships with other people. So, Pastor Brad, thanks for Thank sharing you. with us. Thank you for having me yep. up. So, you know, we, we look at the book of Ephesians as we wrap up, um, and, and really as a whole, it reminds us that the Christian life is meant both to be believed and lived. That there's doctrinal truth, but there's also this practical aspect of how do we live out what we know? And, and there's a tension in that, isn't there? There's always a tension between this is what the Word of God says, but here's how I'm living. And, and so there's always tension right there. Um, but I find it interesting um, as we close. It's interesting, it's somewhat ironic that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. And it was 35 years later, we see Christ speaking to the church in Ephesus through the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. Um, and he says, some things you've gotten right, some things you've, you've kind of messed up. And I think one of the things they messed up, because he speaks to it in Revelation chapter 2, as Christ is speaking to the church here in Ephesus, after all this emphasis on what it means to love one another, what it means to love God and, and grow in my relationship with God and learn to love other people, this is what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus 35 years later. He says, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. You see, guys, if we're going to love others well, we have to learn to love God right. We have to get that right. We have to remember our first love. We have to go back to this idea that it's all about Christ. It's all about my intimate relationship with Him. It's all about me growing in intimacy with Him. And so I want to leave you with this last point and it's simply this, to share the love of Jesus, you must first know and accept the love of Jesus. You see, you can't learn to love Jesus right if you don't know him, <laughs> if you don't know him. Do you know him? Have you come to know him personally? Just backing up in, in the book in Ephesians chapter two, it simply says, as Paul is writing, he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. That to come into personal relationship with Jesus is a gift that he offers to us. Uh, we're entering the gift giving season. And, and if I were to simply take my hard earned pennies and go buy you some nicely wrapped cheap gift and I were to offer it to you, 
and I would say, Sid, this, I bought this gift for you, or James, I bought this gift for you. Tom, my new friend, I bought this gift for you. Who, who does the gift belong to? Who does it belong to? Who does it belong to? I bought the gift. Who does it belong to? It's my gift. I own it. And it, I own it until I offer it. But I can offer it and offer it and offer it. And if James never receives it, whose gift is it? It's mine. But that gift becomes James or it becomes Sid's or it becomes Tom's when what happens? They receive it. It's the difference, listen to me carefully, it's the difference between profession and possession. See, James can say, man, Dave, thank you so much for that gift. That looks awesome. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for getting me that gift. And he can talk about it and he can acknowledge it, but it's not his until he reaches out by faith and receives the grace of Jesus. That becomes possession. And I'm afraid in many ways, we profess a faith that we do not possess. You can know all about Jesus. You can know all about his grace. You can know all about the Christmas story. You can know all about the Easter story, but not possess a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you come to the place of not simply making a profession, but truly possessing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I want to help you know that truth this morning. So whether you're online or whether you're in the room, here's the simple truth. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners, every one of us, but that Christ loved us, even in our sin, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. And he offers us a relationship if we would simply come to him and acknowledge our sin. Listen, it's, it's not an easy thing. We make it sound easy, but it's not easy. It's free, but it's not easy. Because he says, you need to die to yourself and you need to accept me. You need to give up everything that you are and receive me. Because salvation in its most basic form is giving up everything I know of myself to everything I know about Jesus. I am a sinner, I'm broken, and the best way I know how, God, I give you complete control of my life. Come into my heart, save me, and make me the person you want me to be. All in this room and online, would you bow your heads in an attitude of prayer as we close this morning? Maybe that simple prayer expresses the desire of your heart. Maybe you need to talk to somebody this morning about what it means to have a personal relationship with this God that is crazy about you. Very simply, God, I need you. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And the best way I know how right now, I give you complete control of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Come in, take up residence in my life. God, change me and make me the person you want me to be. If you're watching online, I invite you to text Jesus to that number. We've got folks that would just love to interact with you. If you're in the room, I would love to have a conversation with you or somebody on this campus before you leave. I'm gonna ask you to just take a step of faith and boldly step out and say, this morning I gave my heart and life to Jesus. So Father, in this room, continue to do a work that only you can do. It's by your grace, Father, that we come to you in Jesus' name.